When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Bookmarked is brought to you by Libro FM. Get two books for the price of one with your first month of membership using the code BOOKSTACKED. Again, use promo code BOOKSTACKED when you start your membership at Libro.fm. Or check the show notes for a quick link to get started. Offer only valid for new members in the US and Canada. My name is Chelsea Regan, and welcome to the Bookmark Podcast. Today, I'll be talking to Kate Sweeney, whose debut young adult novel, Catch the Light, tells the story of Marigold, a high school senior who is still dealing with the recent death of her father when her mother moves their family from L.A. to upstate New York. It deals with grief, but is also a romance that reminds us that as painful as change can be, sometimes is what we need most. It has everything I love most in contemporary YA, and I can't wait to ask Kate all about it. So let's get started. Hey, Kate, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course. We always like to start with, could you give our listeners just a brief introduction to you and your newest book? Yeah, so my name is Kate. I live in the Bay Area of California. I am a writer. I also have a family frame shop business with my husband, and I'm a former elementary school teacher. I'm a mom. I have a five-year-old, and I'm also a musician. I play in a band out here called Magic Magic Roses. That's such a cool resume. Yeah. Catch the Light, as you said, it's about a girl named Mary Gold. She is a white, 17-year-old, cisgendered, hetero female, and she lives with her mom and her little sister. They've just moved from Southern California to rural upstate New York. It's nine months after the death of her father, and she's just dealing with a lot of loss. She's lost her dad. She's lost her home and all of her friends and her boyfriend, and she's also starting to lose her memory of her father, which is really troubling to her. And so the story is sort of just her journey through that and kind of getting to the other side or trying to. No, I think that's perfect. And you mentioned in there this fear she has as she's dealing with this loss of her father, all these ideas of like memory and this fear of losing details, like forgetting these details she thinks are really important about him. And you, in your book, combine that also with her love of photography, which I thought was really interesting, and her love of taking pictures of, like, very specific things. Like, instead of a face, she'll take a picture of lips or hands or how the light interacts with objects. I thought that was a really interesting combination, contrasting, like, how we remember things with her photography. And I was wondering what inspired you to put those two things together. Yeah, the connection between photography and memory has been something I've been interested in for a long time. I lost my father when I was younger than Marigold when I was 11. 
and I forgot him. And it was such an interesting, you have these pictures of someone and you look at them and you look at them and you look at them. And I think especially now we live in this culture where we're taking pictures all the time to try to remember things. But sometimes photography, actually, your memories kind of shrink down to that photograph and you can't remember anything beyond it. My sister is an artist. She's a visual artist. She did this project when she was in college where she took all of these photographs of our family with my dad in them, and then she edited him out. She photoshopped him out so it looked like he wasn't there. And just kind of playing with that tension between how can you bring a memory back? How can you connect that to photography? I don't know. There's a lot there. There's just a lot of riches there. So I loved writing about it and thinking about it. Yeah, it was things I hadn't really ever thought about, especially with photography. And as Marigold is thinking it through, I found myself thinking it through. I was like, oh, yeah, no, that does make some sense. You know, you talked to you about, I mean, we all have cameras in our pockets now and our phones, and photography has become such a big part of our lives. But I found it really interesting the way you described the process of developing photos, because Marigold, she's not using a digital camera. She's developing the film in a dark room, which I know is a skill like I learned at summer camp as a kid, and it was like a cool thing to do. But I have to imagine is a skill that's being lost over time a little bit as digital cameras get more and more sophisticated and there's just so much you can do with them. And I think the way Marigold describes her process of using the dark room and the details and the routine that she has in your writing, it just felt really specific and like lived in, like you could really tell this was a part of her life and an important part of her life. And so it made me wonder, are you a photographer or maybe your sister? How did you do the research to find this sort of art that is not as common anymore? In my early 20s, I did a lot of film photography and I worked in a dark room and I was like the dark room monitor. And so, yeah, I just had hours and hours in that space. It's such a magical process, and I think that there are a lot of really good things about digital photography and digital art, but there's something so beautiful about film photography that you're making something. You know, I'm a musician, and it's also the same with music. Like, when you record to tape, it's really different than when you digitally record it. The medium itself changes the thing, and I just love that. Call me old-fashioned, but I'm definitely am like a film photography person. No, absolutely. I think it's just a different skill. Like one's not better. They're different processes and you get sort of a different product out of them and a different piece of art. I liked that the photography wasn't just like her going out and taking pictures. It was really about this process of like bringing these pictures to the forefront and how that influenced her life as she was moving forward in this time, too. And so we've talked a little bit about it, but Marigold is definitely going through a lot in this book. She's trying to hold on to this old life that she's had, and she's also trying to explore this new one that she's found herself in. And on top of all of that, she's also a senior in high school, so she's being asked to make sort of all these big decisions about the future. I think your writing has this quality that really mimics that like dizzying feeling you can get when the world is coming at you from all the different directions, and she's trying to catch any of it at the right time and just it all keeps swirling around her it just felt so relatable I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about in plotting your book because obviously she's dealing with this overarching and huge life event of losing her father but also these like other smaller challenges that she was going through how you decided which challenges to throw at her throughout the book 
it was kind of a process for me. This was the first novel that I had written. And so there were many revisions. And I think it started out more simple and then added more things as it went on. And it's really funny because I don't really like books where a lot of bad stuff happens. Like, it's hard for me to read them, but I just kept making more and more bad stuff happen in this book. I just wanted to give a sense of that overwhelm, the way that things, especially when you're grieving, things can just kind of pile on, pile on, pile on, and then you don't realize that at the center of it is this big grief that you are neglecting, but it's also controlling you. And I just liked that inner place. I felt like adding more things in. And also like that's what happens when we're grieving. Life happens, changes keep happening, and we have to try to get through it. I mean, in our culture, it's very like, keep going, even though I think that grief is a reason to stop. I wish we could stop more. I completely agree. And I think, especially in that time in your life, too, when you're graduating high school, there's even more pressure to keep moving forward. It's like, you worked so hard, this isn't the time to stop. And it's like, no, sometimes that's exactly the time to stop. Sometimes that's what you need, because there are too many decisions being asked of you all at once. I think you captured that really, really well, but absolutely that the grief makes even little decisions really hard. And so those decisions just start piling up on each other. It feels like you can never pull your way out of it. Mm -hmm. And I think with that, your story also brings up some really interesting questions about telling the truth, capital T, like in quotes, because there's one way to see the way that Marigold is dealing with everything as like she's lying to the people around her because she's really struggling to tell them what's happening, what she's feeling, what decisions that she has made, what decisions she can't seem to make. There's this thing in contemporary novels, and especially in romance novels, where sometimes there are weird lies or half-truths that are arbitrarily thrown in just to get you to a misunderstanding that get everybody back together again. And those always feel like, just sit down and talk to each other for the love of goodness. Like, this does not need to be this hard. (laughs) Whereas what I really loved about your book is every moment that you might have that feeling, you like totally understand why she can't express what she's thinking or why she can't necessarily tell them because she doesn't know what the answer is or she doesn't know how she's feeling or she really doesn't want to disappoint the people she's talking to and the people that she cares about. So I was wondering for you writing this and creating Marigold, how you saw her relationship to her feelings and to what she was sharing and not sharing with the people around her. Like, did you see it as her lying or just struggling with what the truth might actually be? How did you sort of develop that conflict within her characterization? I think it's a little bit of both. Like, I think you're right that she didn't even really know oftentimes what the truth was or what she wanted because of this grief that she was trying to avoid was kind of eclipsing everything. And it made it really hard for her to get it together for all of these things. And I also think that when a tragedy happens, everyone's going through it at the same time and everyone deals with it differently. And so I think that Mary Gold is a person who is very aware of how everyone else is dealing with it. And because of that, she can't find a place to assert her own experience to be like, oh, hey, I'm going through something too. And here's what it is. She's much more like, is my mom okay? Is my sister okay? like she doesn't want to make a big scene I think it's both of those things and she's hiding from herself too yeah I found that part so relatable the idea of 
not being able to answer the actual question yourself. It's not so much Mm -hmm. that like, you know what the answer is and you're lying to everyone around you. It's like people are asking you a question. You're like, I genuinely don't know what I want. I don't have an answer. So I know I'm supposed to, but I don't. I'm sorry. I think that's really relatable at that age as you're being asked to make all those big decisions about your future. But I think it's also really relatable at any age. of What do you want? It's like, I couldn't tell you. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. To bring us into a slightly lighter note, I am 100% one of those readers who falls in love with fictional boyfriends, and I think Jesse is a fantastic choice in that category. I really, really loved him, and I love a good enemies to lovers as much as anyone else, but I think there's something so special about a story where a guy actually respects when the person he's like very clearly into isn't ready or isn't available and then is able to maintain like a healthy friendship with her. I think that is just such a special thing to read. And I think you wrote that really, really well here. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about both developing the Jesse character, what you sort of wanted from him, and also what kind of guy you wanted for Marigold as you were developing her story. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like with my characters, sometimes they just sort of like appear and they just are that person, you know, and it's like I created him, I guess, but he's like a real person to me. kind of. He's like the soft landing, you know, I also love enemies to lovers and I love bad boys sometimes, but I also love soft boys. And I feel like Jesse's a little bit of a softer character and a sweetheart. And that's kind of what she needed from the story. I was not like getting a lot of, (laughs) I was not like dating in high school. I did not have a Jesse in my life at all. I did not have like two hot guys that were, I was choosing between. (laughs) So as a writer, that's kind of the fun part for me is getting to create this romance. And I feel like every 17 year old should have a person that's like, I mean, many are not ready for that, but every person should have someone that is kind to them and thoughtful. I'm the same where it's like, bad boys are really fun in idea but in the real world probably not who I'd want and definitely not in the situation like Mary Gold finds herself in <laughs> probably would not have been super helpful for her but yeah he is just such a sweet character and he does just so genuinely care about her and I also I love that he has a dark room and that they're able to share that together I thought that was such a nice connection for her and it really gave her that space where she could have like her own feelings separate from everything else I was going to say also on the topic of that bad boy, like enemies to lovers thing. It's really funny because my niece recently moved in with us and she's 18. She just graduated high school and she's kind of finding her way in the world. And she just moved in with my little family. And it's really funny to watch how she interacts with things like that, because I'll be like, let's watch reality bites. Like Ethan Hawke is so hot. And she's just like, no, he does not have it together. He does not deserve her. Like she's just, teaching me like how to be it's so funny from this younger perspective like I think that her cultural experience has just been so different from mine she's just like "Uh uh-uh no no they need to have direction in life and be nice to the Mm -hmm. women it's like what (laughs) crazy (laughs) what is this oh no I I mean stories can have any kind of love interest they want but I do have a special place in my heart for ones who are like just from the beginning, genuinely nice and genuinely caring. And I think Jesse is, he's the guy we like all probably needed at that age. You know, he's like the guy you hope you'll find. And on the topic of her friends, moving to a new town is a very classic YA trope. But what I really liked about your story is that the original friends that she had in LA don't just like drop out. I think sometimes with those stories, you get like, a name at the beginning you're like she's my best friend and then you never hear from her it's like 
<laughs> she made other friends, I guess. I don't know. She's fine. But Marigold's best friend from L.A., Nora, is a really central and important part of your story. And she remains central and important throughout the whole thing, which I think is probably way more true to life of how these situations would go. But at the same time, they have a real struggle of, like, how do you maintain a relationship when there's this distance and when you're both going through these changes and and you're making decisions about the future and they might not be exactly what the other person wants. And at the same time, you also allowed Nora to have her own struggles and have her own opinions. It wasn't like Marigold was the only one going through something. You know, Nora's best friend just moved across the country. That would be really hard for her, too. And it also allowed them to pass the Bechamel test, which I'm always like, yes, thank goodness. I was wondering what inspired you to have Marigold and Nora's relationship develop the way it did, and is that reminiscent of friendships that you've had in your life? I think that it was important for me, for Marigold, to have that relationship as a tether. And also for Nora, you know, as I said, my characters, I feel like they're like people, so I wanted to do right by her as a character and their relationship. I think it is really hard, that transition, and also, like, when you graduate high school and then move on to whatever the next step is, some people are really close with their high school friends and some people are not, and that's just, like, an interesting topic. I think my editor, Kelsey, really helped me with making sure I kept the – that was one thing that she was really like, what about Nora? (laughs) I would be like, okay, hold on. And then when I was editing, I read – We Are Okay by Nina LaCour. It's a really amazing book about two friends, and there's a little bit more of a romance there, but it's definitely like a friendship story, and they separate across the country after a tragedy, and she just did it like so beautifully, and that really inspired me. I think in general, when there's an area of writing that you are trying to deepen or something like that, using a mentor text from an author that you love is a great thing. And that's a great example of how I did that. Yeah, no, I think sometimes too writing, it can feel like if you don't experience something exactly yourself, it's like, how do you write about it? And mm-hmm. and reading is absolutely a way to gain more insight into feelings that maybe you haven't specifically had yourself. I love that your editor was like fighting for Nora. <laughs> She's like, wait, yeah. what about Nora? <laughs> The importance of editors. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and so we've talked a bit about it, but I think ultimately Marigold's story is really about grief and this loss of her father and how much that colors sort of all of her experiences and everything she's dealing with and all of her relationships. And I think one thing you did really beautifully here is that you show how grief can be expressed and dealt with in so many different ways. You know, Marigold has an older sister and a younger sister and a mom who are all dealing with this loss. And each member of her family really experiences this pain in really different ways. And as you said, part of the story does stem from your own experiences with grief and losing your father. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how you developed the journey for this family as they navigated this really kind of impossible situation. Yeah, I think that what you said is really true, that everyone experiences grief differently, and that definitely was my experience. When I was growing up, everyone in my family experienced their grief differently, and it was actually very healing to write this book and to be like, let me explore what it would have been like now that I'm a mom to be a mom in this situation. What would that feel like? And then what's it like to be the person who deals with grief by being outwardly angry and really authentic and honest? Because that's really not what I'm like. And so it was cool to just like step into her shoes. And even like the dad, I felt like in some ways 
now that I'm an author and I'm a writer and that's a tension that I feel with my kid, it was cool to step into his shoes. Like, what was it like for him through Marigold's memory? So it was just so cool to get to be in each person's head. And I really just wanted to convey that message that grief is different for everyone because when I lost my dad, I felt a lot of shame and embarrassment around my grieving process. I didn't feel like I cried enough. I was really young. I was 11. So I was like, why don't I feel more sad? I think I was just in shock. And I think it's just important for people to know that grief is really messy and complicated. Everyone deals with it differently. And the only thing you can do is just get through it and experience it. You can't control it. Yeah, there is no like good way or perfect way to deal with grief. All of your characters dealt with it in their own way. Everybody had moments where they were hurting those around them, including like her mom. Even adults don't have this down. There are mistakes that they're going to make and things that they're not going to see coming through this process, too. I also really liked Bea. Her younger sister was a really fun character to read, as even as she was breaking all the rules and getting angry. I just I felt so much for her. Yeah. Along with grief, I think your book also really talks about, like, the inevitability of change and how as much as we might try to fight it or as much as we don't want it to, like, time moves forward and you can't stop what's coming. But also that as time moves forward, your feelings and the way you think about people and places and things in your life are going to change and evolve and some things may be more or less important to you as you move forward. But also that that's like 100% okay and normal. I love seeing the inclusion of that, especially in YA books, because I feel like it took me forever to learn that. I'm still learning that now as in my late 20s. I'm like, oh, it's okay that I'm not super close with this person anymore. That thing is not as special to me as it used to be. I was wondering, is that something that you learned through the grieving process or maybe at Marigold's age or even writing this book? It sort of came together. I have kind of complicated feelings or like a complicated relationship to change. Actually, my family, we moved a lot when I was growing up. So until I was six, we lived in Athens, Georgia, and then we moved to Los Angeles, California. And then we moved to upstate New York when I was 12. And then I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah after I graduated high school. Then I went to college in New York and I moved back to Utah and then I moved to California and So I think that there's part of me that loves that feeling of just like burn it down, let it go, throw it out. But there is another part of me that gets very sentimental and that's still certain things I like to have control over. And I like to know that they're going to happen the same way every time. And that person is going to be the same way every time. I think it's just so much the human condition to struggle with change, even though, you know, they say it's the only constant, but it's hard for us. And so... I think it's just such a rich topic always to think about. No, that's so interesting, too, that you've had that experience of, like, the constant moving. Because I think I really liked that part of your book. The, like, burn it down versus hold it as close as you can was, like, a real tension throughout your story that makes a lot of sense. And so my last question for you, you know, you couldn't pay me money to go back and do the college application process again. But I thought... You navigated it really, really well in this book, but more than anything, I just really appreciated the fact that you included the very legitimate option of not wanting to go to college or not wanting to go to college right away or wanting to do a gap year. Like, there are so many other options besides you graduate in May and then you're in college by September. It's a really big decision for kids and in so many different ways. 
there's so much to it. And I think there's this assumption that everyone has to go right away. And that can be really damaging for students who that's not the right thing for them. I was wondering about including that perspective in your story, why you included it, and if you were hoping that sort of younger readers might be able to take away more options from your book. Let's see. I have really complicated feelings about college in general. As a teacher and especially working in a community that is traditionally like under-resourced where they are, I want all of those kids to go to college. And at the same time, I feel like the private college system is sort of in many ways like the heart of like what is ailing our country and capitalism. And it's all about like prestige and competition and all of these values that I really don't value and that I think are very damaging to humanity and to people. I think everyone should be able to explore their passions and to learn and to grow. But I think that the system that we have where you just either are in the group that's going to go to college or you don't, or you're one of the lucky ones. And even if you're in that group, you just are kind of on this track. Everything is about that. Everything is about your achievements. Everything is about your accomplishments. That's just sort of my take on the whole thing. I would be really pro-college if all colleges were open to everyone and affordable for everyone. So writing a YA book, I originally set the book in Marigold's junior year. And then one of my revisions, I think it was my agent, was like, there needs to be something more. What if you moved it to her senior year? And then I was like, oh, man, then I'm going to have to deal with this issue of college that I have such complicated feelings about. And it's hard. I feel like in so many YA books, it's just like, we're all applying to college now. Like, that's what we do. And I mean, I love YA. And also, I think that it's worth sometimes questioning that idea of, is that what we just do? Who's we? Why is that what we all just do? And so especially I think in a moment when like you've just lost a parent and your whole life is falling apart, why does that have to be at the center? Why does achievement have to be at the center? No, absolutely. I think a lot of people refer to it as like a conveyor belt or like this treadmill that kids get put on and it just kind of sends them on to the next thing. But I think your story and and Marigold's story is such a clear example of like why that's not helpful because maybe she was on the conveyor belt and it was working for her but like something happened where she needed to pause it she needed to be able to stop and take the time she needed and it's just not built for that it's not designed to allow kids to have that and this was such a clear example of like her world was crashing down like she just so desperately needed to not worry about this thing yeah and I mean it's a privilege to even be able to think about getting off the conveyor belt and so it's just complicated on so many levels. But yeah, I was kind of happy to be able to advocate for the idea in general of taking time and space to grieve. I don't think that that's something that we allow ourselves very often as a culture. And I think this book is such a clear example of when someone needs that and what that might feel like. And there were so many moments in this book where I was like, just take a sick day, like take a day <laughs> off. You're doing, you're doing fine. Just go back to bed. It's okay. Um, yeah. And then, and then that should be okay. I want to wrap things up. Where can our listeners learn more about you and your books? Where's the best place on the internet for them to find you? In terms of social media, I'm most active on Instagram. And my handle is Kate Sweeney Writes. And I also have a website, www.katesweeneywrites.com. I'm on Twitter, but I only have like one follower. And every time I make a tweet, it's like one person liked it. It's your mom. (laughs) That's my Twitter experience. So I mean, if you want to follow me there and cheer me on, that's fine, but nothing to behold. 
I love that. I have the exact same thing on Twitter with, like, my best friend. She's the only person who ever likes any of it. And I'm like, oh, cool. We could just text this. But it's fine that it's in the world now. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Kate. This was so much fun. I really enjoyed your book, and I really enjoyed getting to hear more about it and to talk to you. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Yeah, of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We are at BookmarkedYA. And you can also follow Bookstacked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like the show, don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm at Plucky Bookmark. I hope you enjoy the show, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.